Let me add my greeting to everyone else's. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And you know, we, I remind people of that. And, and those of you who've been here a long time ago, we know who you are week after week, but some people don't. Those online may not be visiting. Some in the room may be visiting. We have a, a, a philosophy of ministry around team ministry. So we team teach. So, of course, Rob Sweet, our lead pastor, will teach here next week. I'll be teaching at the Brentwood Congregation. And just want to make that, make you aware of that so you understand, you know, what you're experiencing if you are relatively new to fellowship. Um, as I take the next few minutes to review where we've been and then kind of set us up to where we're going this morning, uh, I want to encourage you, if, if you do have young kids here in the room or online, that the content of this message is uh, adult content, and, and, and you know, we're speaking here in uh, these verses 27 to 30 of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and I will be, uh, you know, I will speak quite frankly about these things, and so I, I, as I'm introducing this, if you need to get your, take your kids out, it's, it's okay, I, I want to say that. Those of you online, if you need to have the kids do something else during this particular message, I'm going to let you as parents make that decision, but I want you to be you know, aware of where, where we're going. Now, now I'm going to be in, I'm in the Bible, but the Bible's quite explicit on these things as it is on everything. Uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in a certain section of the sermon, because the Sermon on the Mount has different sections that Jesus takes us through, and the section we're in began with an introduction to the section within the section. And I talked about that two weeks ago. It was uh, chapter, verses 17 through 20, chapter five in Matthew. And in that, the, the, the key, probably the key verse in there is verse 20, where Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You all in that day, uh, you know, when, when, when Jesus said that, the, the pinnacle of righteousness were the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, these were the people who did the right thing, who, who avoided the wrong thing, who said what was, you know, they, they, every, all their behavior was pristine. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, you're not in. <laughs> and so Jesus is now in this section gonna give us six examples of, of righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. Now, the way that we, we've been describing this is, is uh, with the image of an iceberg. And, and, and you'll see this up on the screen where we're trying to say, you know, think about your um, behavior in life that, that all of us live life in a sense uh, with, a, with, with an external and, a, and an internal reality. You know, you know what I'm saying? And so, for example, when we think of an iceberg, we want to say, well, you know, this, there, this is actually, and I've said this before, this is only 10% of, of uh, the iceberg. And, and yet what Jesus is going to show us is there's 90% below the waterline. And yet it's all one iceberg inseparable. Um, the, 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 the Pharisees, if I can describe it like this, the Pharisees assumed that since this was right, that everything was right. And Jesus drains the ocean to say, well, oh no, you could, you could be right up here and so wrong in terms of your intent and 
motivation. Wait, wait, my intent matters? Yes, motivation matters? Yes, this is what Jesus is showing us. Now, another way that, that we have um, talked about this is, is related to the heart. Um, Eric said, our mission as a church to help people find wholehearted life in Christ. According to the Bible, the heart is the control center of life. The heart itself is the essence of who we are, and the, and the heart actually has, has parts. In other words, it's where we think, it's where we feel, and a thought's not the same as a feeling. It's where our desires and longings reside. That's different from a thought, and it's where we make our choices. We, you know, all of us are learning this language. And, and if, we, if we did this, if we, if we, if we flipped the heart and said, Oh, is there a part of the heart that kind of looks a lot like the um, a lot like the the iceberg? I would suggest yes, because when we tilt the heart, I would suggest that many of us live our lives with our choices evident to all, but boy, there's a lot under the water that no one's looking at or no one can see. Are you with me? See, that's where the emotions, desires, <laughs> you know, reside down here. Uh, in, in, in under the waterline. Everybody with me on this? So you see the iceberg, the heart, they're, they're the same thing. They're, they're, they're similar. They show the same. Jesus is showing us the same thing. Now, our text this morning, Jesus is going to drain the ocean <laughs> as he does in each six of these examples. And he is going to expose an area of our life which we would, quite frankly, choose to keep hidden and away from other eyes to see. And there's a level to which that's appropriate in this area, but there's a level at which it is absolutely not. So with that, we're gonna stand up, please. We're gonna read the text together. I'm gonna lead us. We're gonna read the text on the screen together. I want you to follow along with me um, as we read it. Um, we'll pull up the text if we can. There we go. And um, I'm gonna say at the end of the reading, I'm gonna say this is the living word of God for us today. You can say that with me. And then I'm gonna pray a very brief prayer and we're gonna dive into the text. Uh, read out loud with me as I lead us. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the living word of God for us today. Father, we pray in these moments that by the person and work of your spirit, we would see what it means to follow Jesus more fully from this text today. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Um, let's, let's stay in our Bibles at... Um, uh, Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30, like Rob's passage last week. And this is like, honestly, all the passage we're gonna be in in this particular section. Jesus says three things. He shows us what's above the waterline. He shows us what's below the waterline. 
And then he shows us what we must do. So there, there's the outline that we're gonna, we're gonna walk through. I'm gonna start with what's above the water line. Follow along in your Bibles. We just read it. I'll say it again. Above the water line, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, what's above the water line? A very explicit command of Christ you shall not commit adultery. This is a direct quote verbatim from the seventh commandment in Exodus. Uh, it, it needed no explanation in that day. I, I don't know that it needs a ton of explanation in ours, but there's some perhaps. Uh, they, the original audience, correct? We always start there. Um, they, they knew that God forbid that a married person would have sex with anyone other than their spouse. Uh, let me get through here. Would, have, would not have sex with anyone other than their spouse. Um, they, they also knew that the penalty was to be stoned to death because it was still being done. I mean, they were stoning people caught in adultery when Jesus was speaking these words to people on the hillside. And, and we can say, and we know historically for that reason, you all, there, there wasn't a lot of adultery. I'll just say it wasn't common. Adultery was not common. It, Michael, pull that slide um, that's got the adultery on the top, just so that we can see. I'm, I'm sliding through these. Well, there you go. That's where I want to. So we can see the top is, you know, do not commit adultery. Um, remember Rob last week when he started with do not murder? Um, and, and when he, you know, said that, he said, well, everyone, in, everyone on the hillside, it was one of those like, okay, I have not murdered anyone. Thank God, I'm, I'm okay. And then Jesus said, drop the water line. And, and all of a sudden you wait, wait, I have called someone a fool. Oh my gosh, I murdered them. It's the same here. See, so Jesus says, do not commit adultery. And, and generally, you know, it's, most in the crowd were like, I've not had sex with someone who's not my spouse. Thank, thank, thank God I'm in the clear. Well, that relief is short-lived because then Jesus goes below the waterline and then everyone on the hillside, and I would suggest everyone in our room today or online, and anyone who's ever read these words is suddenly exposed to say, I've, I have committed adultery. I'm going to get to that in a moment, okay? That's where we're going below the waterline. But I need to, to, to pause, and I want to talk about two things that, that are going to help us really understand why this commandment. And when we understand the why at that point, what I'm, I guess what I want to say is when you understand the why, we're going to get to the, you know, we're going to get to on, on this slide, you don't have to bring it up yet, but we're going to get to intent and motive. And this is the, this is why Jesus is saying the things he is. So I'm going to talk about two things real quick, marriage and sex. So I want to start with marriage. Y'all, when I do a wedding, I always say, you know, one-on-one -on -one with the bride and groom, and, or even in the context of a wedding ceremony, I will make clear that, that marriage is not 
a, a, a social institution. I make clear that marriage is not something we do because you know, of evolutionary traits and it benefits humanity and whatnot. It's, the roots of marriage are not found in, in sociology, even anthropology. It's found in theology. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, well, God created marriage. This is our biblical understanding. It didn't exist till God created the institution of marriage. It's a covenant relationship between a man and a woman in which both pledge absolute fidelity and faithfulness to the other, sexual and non-sexual fidelity and faithfulness. And here's the reason, okay? This gets at the theological root. Because every marriage is a physical manifestation, a physical symbol, if you will, or expression of God's covenant relationship with his own. So I I tell people, I tell the couple, I say, you know, your marriage is not about you. You're entering into a covenant through which the world is gonna get a picture of God's covenant relationship with his own. It's inconceivable that God would be unfaithful to his spouse, you know, the church corporately, but you and I individually in relationship with him. Does that make sense? And so it's like the stakes are massively huge. It's, it's a big deal. Don't commit adultery. You know, that's where the roots of the command come from. Secondly, a word about sex. Now there's more to marriage, but, but a word about sex. And there's more to sex than I'm gonna say, but this is foundational. Y'all, it is an absolute total misunderstanding. For, in, for, for a person to say God is against sex. And, and you may hear that from time to time. You know, well, your God's a killjoy. He didn't, God, God's trying to keep us away from sex. You know, that, and, and that's just, honestly, it's ridiculous. It's not true. It's, it's ignorance. If anyone just read the first three chapters of their Bible, let me tell you what they would find. They would find two naked people in the presence of God. And God looks at them and says, have sex. You know what I'm saying? So how can he be against that which he created? When people have sex, you know, sexual act, they're not just merging body parts. This is the point. You know, the, 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 the act of sex um, is the tip of the iceberg. There's the the whole iceberg that's underneath there. That's your heart, your soul, your spirit, your thoughts, emotions. That's all that. So it's not just the, the intertwining of physical bodies. Why only in the covenant of marriage then? Why, why, not be able to have, why not be able to have sex with people other than your spouse? Well, because it's the intertwining of your whole heart. A sexual act with another human being is the mingling of the whole heart with the whole heart. And you don't unscramble two hearts. It's like trying to unscramble two eggs. You, you, you don't, you, you leave a part, you lose a part. I'm just telling you, this is the reality and it's a painful reality for many of us. 
I want you to think of it like this, sex in this way. You know, splitting an atom is, is probably one of the most profound things that humanity's done. It creates a tremendous amount of power. It's most powerful, I think, that we, that we know of probably. When you split the atom within the confines of a nuclear reactor, do you know what you get? You get power, tremendous power that lights up thousands of homes and people can cool their homes and heat their homes and cook their food. Tremendous benefit. You split an atom outside of the context of a secure, you know, nuclear reactor, and you know what you get? You get devastation by the hundreds of thousands. You get a landscape and a people that are scarred for generations. See, see sex is intended to be within the confines and the security of a covenant and faithful relationship, for within it, it's powerful. Because within that context, you see that joining of two hearts is in the safety and security of fidelity. There's no performance going on here. You've already accepted one another for life. There's no judgment going on here. You're committed to one another for life. Do you see that? So, so, so it's within the, the context of that covenant relationship. When it's outside of that covenant relationship, it, quite frankly, it's just it's self-gratification, it's performance. And oh, you, you give your heart to someone sexually and it, it happens way more often than not, quite frankly, that someone in that relationship decides someone else is, is better at sex than you are or looks better than you do. Or I just would like another, I'd like variety. You know what I'm saying? It just goes haywire with great, great damage. So theologically, marriage, a visible expression of God's covenant love, Sex to be enjoyed within that covenant. That's above the waterline. Let's go below the waterline. That's where Jesus goes next in verses 28. In, in verses 28 all the way through. Verse 28, I'll get 29, 30 in a minute. So below the waterline, here we go. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So there we now have the, uh, the other slide, Michael, on adultery being below the waterline. To think about having sex with someone who's not your spouse is the same as having adultery with that person. The penalty for adultery remains. It's death. It's sin. I want to be clear. Jesus is not speaking about looking at a woman uh, admir uh, admiringly, a, a beautiful woman. In the same way, vice versa, a woman looking at a man, and he's handsome, you know, um, he's speaking, and note the, the text itself says here, with lustful intent. Um, so it is to look at someone of the opposite sex and, and imagine, 
allow your mind to go to sexual satisfaction with that person. Isn't it interesting that that he chooses to say everyone who looks. Uh, We come later in this passage and throughout the Bible to to the gateway of the eyes. And I tell you, there is a, an abundance of scripture that speaks of the, the gateway of the eyes. It's, it, it's through the look by which we can commit adultery. It, it, you know, the, the, there's a proverb that even speaks of the, the look of the adulteress. Like a woman can catch a man with her eyes. And a man can catch a woman with her eyes. (laughs) There is a wink that says way more than it does on the surface. Is it or not? It's just about the eyes, you all. So serious an issue. Well, now everybody at the crowd, everyone on the hillside and all of us, you know, are are, are stuck with this. Have I committed adultery? (laughs) with your heart. Now, while Jesus begins with the sin of adultery, I I, I want us to be so careful here that we don't fall into the trap of the Pharisees because when the water drops and we see the whole of the heart, Jesus is addressing, quite frankly, all sexual sin. Because it'd be easy for us. I know there's some in the room that might go, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not married and she wasn't married, so that's not adultery. Are you kidding? No, no. He's speaking of all sexual immorality as he, as he drops the water on the heart. I want you to listen to these words from John Stott in a moment before I show you the quote, because he says this so clearly and powerfully. Um, I need to define a word for you because as I read the quote, I went, that is really good, but I don't know what that word means that he says. The word is kazooistry, kazooistry. You'll see it looks like causatry, but it's kazooistry. And it's a, it's a, it's a term that, that means um, using faulty reasoning to find loopholes in ethical matters. So, so it's, it's faulty, using faulty reasoning to find loopholes in ethical matters. Everybody with me? That's what kazooistry means. So John Stott writes, and I think is spot on when he says this quote, Jesus's allusion is to all forms of immorality. If we could put that quote up. To argue that the reference is only to a man lusting after a woman and not vice versa, or only to a married man and not an unmarried since the offender is said to commit adultery and not fornication, which is sex with anyone, not your spouse still, but outside, outside of marriage, is to be guilty of the very kazooistry which Jesus was condemning the Pharisees. His emphasis is that any and every sexual practice which is immoral indeed is also is immoral also in look and in thought. Kazooistry. <laughs> the Pharisees using faulty reasoning to find loopholes in ethical matters. Y'all, let's not slip down the slide that the Pharisees slipped down. 
Don't look for the loophole in this. See, don't, 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 don't start trying to unpack it to find your way out and around it. Listen to the intent of the law. Sexual fidelity in life, married or unmarried. Sexual purity with the whole heart is what he's after. Well, then, then he concludes, I'll conclude here with the call to action. And so here we go from above the waterline, below the waterline, call to action. What do you do? And, and I just want you to be ready. We've read it, but get ready again. Because what he said is pretty radical and terrifying. Verses 29 and 30. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to tear, to sin, tear it out. It goes to the eyes, you all. The eyes matter. Throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So there's your application, right? Well, it is a grave application. Um, you remember last, last week, Rob, on, on the application from last week about <clears throat> do not commit murder, the application then went on to say, you need to restore relationships and you need to do it with a tremendous sense of urgency. It needs to be a priority, that urgency. Get, you need to do this. Well, Jesus is speaking with the same sense of urgency here when he comes to do not be unfaithful sexually. What he's saying is sexual fidelity, purity, wholeness is nothing to toy with. It is nothing to be casual about. That's what he means. You know, I, I know... Some of you have maybe had friends or you read a book and it's almost mockingly with skepticism, you know, they'll say to you, oh, you're, you're one of those people who takes the Bible literally. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with that verse? And in, in there's that verse in Matthew that says, tear your eye out, cut your hand off. What are you gonna do with that? You know, you know mockingly they can. And, and I, and I want to offer this to you. Next time someone even gets close to saying something like that to you, you just need to look at them and you say, well, you need to take a hike. That's what you say to them. Now, are they going to literally go take a hike? Answer me. Are they going to say, wait, wait, where do you want me to hike? Do I need to hike? Are they going to do that? Tell me. Why? Why? What, what do they understand I just said to them when I said, you need to take a hike? Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a figure of speech. Y'all, when we say we take the Bible literally, we, we take it so literally that we pay attention to the literary structure of the Bible, that a figure of speech is a figure of speech. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so, so when we read this, you know, don't, don't get stuck here and don't get all worked up, which I have in my life, and you will when you're reading Sir Matthew. Yeah, sit back and say, what kind of, what, what's he saying? Do you know that, that uh, hyperbole existed in Jesus's day? The literary 
structure of a hyperbole was there. And Jesus is speaking in hyperbole where you're speaking in a great exaggeration. Why? To tell a lie? No, so that, so that what you're saying gets the weight that it needs. Tear your eye out. Cut your hand off if it's gonna lead you towards sexual immorality. Whew. Now we feel, we go, oh gosh, this is so serious. That's what he's saying. Jesus were to take, speak literally, you know, in essence, he'd be saying, cut the top of the iceberg off. But what's the problem with that? <laughs> well, you've just cut the top of the iceberg off. There's more iceberg. There'll always be more iceberg. Let me paraphrase Jesus's words in a way that gets at their intent. And I'm skipping a few slides, Michael, here. But there's two statements I'm gonna make, paraphrases that I've written that I, that I just want you to go, okay, here's what he's saying. I, I believe interpretively and in terms of application. First, sexual sin is so devastating to your heart, spare nothing to eliminate any and all paths that might lead you toward this sin. It's spare nothing. Or I might say it this way, give up now. So, so there's stuff you might have, you, there's some things you can't do now. Give up now what you most value. There's some things there's some things, man or woman, you just may have to say, I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't, see what I'm saying? Give it up now in order to keep from giving. But later, what is most valuable of all? Your soul. Well, we ask Jesus to show us what it means to follow him from this text. I do believe he has shown us. And so, so let's, let's do apply the text, Okay. I'm gonna invite the band, the worship team to come back up here as we prepare to do this. Y'all, there, um, there are so many good resources and practices uh, to find help in the area of sexual sin. You know, there, there are those in the room struggling with sexual fidelity. Uh, gosh, I, you know, I, I hate to be overly general in a statement, but who, who at some level doesn't struggle with lust in, in, in some manner? For there are many in this room who battle with pornography. Uh, there are some watching online in the room with both services. You know, I'm not thinking of any particular person, but who, who are in emotional adultery right now, who, who've been unfaithful to their spouse, who are, who've, who've committed physical adultery. That's, that's ha that, we're not immune. <clears throat> there, there are some places to go and some things to do that, that can help you. And I, I thought, gosh, I could list so many, but... Rather than do that, I'm gonna offer two, two points of application that to me are initial, i.e., no, this isn't all you do, but boy, it's, it, it's a step that will get you toward other things you can do in this area. And so here, here's the first one, I'll offer it to you. <clears throat> tell someone. What do you mean tell someone? I mean, tell someone where you are, what you're doing or what you've done, what's below the waterline. And some of you are going, when blank freezes over, I will tell someone that. Um, I'm telling you right now, the voice that whispers in your ear, oh, no, 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 don't let it be known. Look, you, you messed up, but don't tell, or you're struggling, don't let him know. I'm telling you, you're gonna ruin your life if you tell someone. I promise to you, 
that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit, but the voice of the evil one who knows that the secret you keep is the secret that holds you in bondage and will kill you. See, you're holding on to this, you're, you're holding on to a secret as if it's a life preserver. And I assure you, Jesus looks at you and says, you're holding on to a lead life preserver that will take you to the bottom of the ocean. I didn't say tell the world. I said tell someone. Someone you trust, someone who knows Jesus, someone who, who's mature enough to hold that, that, that vulnerability. Tell me, tell Rob, tell, tell your fellowship group leader, tell Bible study leader. Eric, by the way, is leading a small group called Unwanted. And I'll say this to the men in the room and online, it's a great place for many of you to, to walk with others in this arena. So you need to go on the website, contact Eric somehow, but this is the last week you can get in that group. And what a wonderful opportunity here. Um, Jesus is making it clear, and this is why we're, it's, it's sobering. If you're gonna walk in wholehearted sexual fidelity that surpasses that of the Pharisees, it will be at great cost. It will be at great cost. It, it, won't, it won't just like come to you. It will be at great cost. And, and if I may offer this, it may cost you everything. Like, like for you to confess in this area, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. It may cost you everything. But there is something on the other side that is more in this life and the life to come than all you could ever lose. Now, I know for some of you in the room, you're going, you don't understand what you're saying. I, I do understand what I'm saying. Now, I, I may not be able to feel it to the degree you would. Like, Lloyd, that, that would cost me my job. Lloyd, that would cost me my marriage. Lloyd, that would cost me my children. You know what I'm saying? I, I get that, but I'm just gonna tell you there's something on the other side in Christ that is more than you could ever lose. That's just the, go that's the gospel message itself. Here's a second application for some in the room and all in the room, quite frankly. Trust Jesus. Uh, trust Jesus. What do you mean trust Jesus? I mean bring, your, bring to Jesus your brokenness, your need, your desire, trusting that he alone can satisfy the heart. You all, willpower will not bring you sexual fidelity. Oh, it'll, it'll stop you from one act, not from the next 20. It just won't. You don't have the willpower. You, you know what you need? You need a new heart. I need a new heart. Now, those who've trusted Christ have a new heart. And then the Christian life becomes trusting from my new heart that Jesus is my deepest satisfaction and that Jesus alone gives me, brings me all that my heart longs for. Oh, but I think that sex will do it. It won't. But if I had enough money, it won't. If I was famous, it won't. If, if the world thought the world of me, that won't satisfy that. It's just the God-man Jesus. So man, when I say trust Jesus, I'm talking to myself. Can I trust Jesus to be my deepest satisfaction because it's not just a matter of no it's truly a matter of yes Jesus and therefore no and it's this watch it's not I want to do that but I'm not gonna and, and that's part of life 
But I'll tell you, you know you're trusting Jesus and experiencing more fully when it becomes this. Jesus, you're so good. I don't want that anymore. My, oh my gosh, my desires have been changed. Yes, yes, this is the, the core of growth in Christ. I'm gonna give you a minute right now. I've talked a lot on the application, so pause a moment. Do you need to tell someone? How do you need to trust Jesus more? I want you to think about that for a moment. invite you to take the Lord's table elements and invite you to stand. You can hold those. You don't have to open them yet. You can open them in a moment because we're going we're gonna to respond in a song. So just take the elements. Let's stand together. I want you to hold those elements as we declare and respond with our voices to the message itself. You know, when we come to this table week by week, it's the tangible reminder Jesus is all I need. That's what we do. I love that we come to this table. And oh, how we need his person and work. And, 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 and having heard this difficult word, can I, can I kind of put it in this context? It's not just that we need these, this word from Jesus. We, we understand Jesus is the word. So he's the word. So, so we need him. He is, as we'll sing, the better word. He's the better word that our hearts long for. We'll sing these words in our brokenness. He's healing every wound in our fallenness. He's making all things, he is making all things new. His blood is the measure of our worth. Uh, his blood is shouting, shouting out with life and it's shouting down the lies. See, it's, it, it's his blood that shouts down the lies. That, oh, this is what you need to be satisfied. His blood is our hope and our defense. We're gonna, we're gonna proclaim this in song. And in that song, we will then receive it in the table. Let's lift our voices.